So we have featured uh, 114 storytellers, many of whom are here tonight. We have had, shockingly, this is actually the even number, 100 birthday people who we've celebrated at the show, some of them twice. I have made over 300 ice cream cakes. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and I did the math, and that is equivalent to 2 million 10, uh, wait, is that right? 2 million 10,000 calories. <laughs> That's just the ice cream. That doesn't include like any toppings, any layers, anything I beat the crap out of, um, meaning like cookies and stuff. And surprisingly, I've only handed out 48 lactate pills. <laughs> uh, we have, of course, read 49 Mad Lib stories, and this is my very favorite one. Accomplishments, just one line from it. Accomplishments, I was voted most likely to queef. Hey. Yum's the word, haven't you heard? The yum's the word, it was started by a bird. My name is Robin. And her hair has lots of curls. Actually, I blow it out a lot. Two stories, some awkward. Like wetting the bed next to your boyfriend. Pretty funny and absurd. Like your boss tickling your side boob. So welcome all you nerds. And cool people too. This is for everyone. Except kids. Yum's the word. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Yum's the Word. I'm Robin Gelfenbein, and at the top, you heard a clip from our five-year anniversary show. It was such a fun night. Now, Alex and I had a long discussion about which joke to end on in that cold open. Lactate pills or queef? Tough call. But naturally, queef won out, as it always should. What do you have to say about queef, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as uh, the season changes, I feel like, you know, listening to a little autumn queefs would be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Queef, it's what's for dinner, you've said before. Commander and queef. I had another good one a second ago. He was on a roll. This, this guy was on a queef roll. Oh, oh, that's that's what it was. It was Adele rolling in the queef. <laughs> right, right, right. So turning over a new queef. Thanks, Alex. Today's episode features two fantastic stories from our five-year anniversary show and some bits from that night because I'm not going to lie. That was my favorite show to date. The stories were hilarious. I got some wonderful and very thoughtful gifts one of which you'll hear about later in this episode. And I had a blast. Seriously, at one point I was jumping up and down. I had so much fun. Right, Alex? Absolutely. Yeah, I totally did. <laughs> but first, it's been a big month for all things ice cream in my world. Uh, I took our summer interns, Talia and Jenna, to Cool Mess, where you get to make your own ice cream. I met one of the owners and founders of Anvil Hills Creamery, which is an amazing ice cream place uh, in Brooklyn and here in Manhattan. Her name is Jackie, and she basically gave me unlimited ice cream. And last week, I went to the Museum of Ice Cream. Ah. It was like my own personal ice cream mecca. Now, tickets to it sold out very quickly, but luckily, my friend knows what a connoisseur I am. Alex is shaking his head like, oh, God. <laughs> You've never heard me say that? 
No, I have. Okay. But I shook my head then too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I, 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 I like that title. I'm gonna own it. I'm good with it. Anyway, she knows what a connoisseur I am, and she gave me a ticket. And I had so much fun. I was like a kid in a candy store. Or kid in an ice cream museum. And I went with my friend Rachel and her two kids. We had taro ice cream, which I can't even describe. It was purple. Uh, I think it came from the Chinatown Ice Cream Factory. It was so good. I jumped around in a sprinkle pool. Uh, they weren't real sprinkles. They were actually plastic, which I found, like, all over my apartment in various places. <laughs> did you find that out the hard way? I did. There would be, like, there'd be like, like a bright magenta little plastic thing in my toilet. I'm like, well, how did that get there? Um, yeah, it was, they were all over the place. Uh, I rode on a scooper seesaw. I sat on an ice cream sandwich swing. And my favorite thing, I ate an edible balloon that had helium in it, which I called... Healy, yum. <laughs> Alex is laughing at me. I'm surprised you're not like really embracing these puns. I, I, I am th- embracing them. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> you can check out all of my adventures at the Museum of Ice Cream on our Instagram at yums the word show. Seriously, the helium is a riot. It's a video of me sucking in sugar helium. All right, so on to the stories. First up is a dear friend of mine, Selena Kopic. Selena has written for McSweeney's. She's the author of The New Rules for Blondes, and The Frisky ranked her one of the 25 funniest feminists on Twitter. This is her story about the downsides of fame. Let's get this party started. Hooray! Okay, um, so it's <clears throat> it's pretty cool to be, like Robin was talking about, recognized um, either you know here or there for doing stand-up or storytelling or doing whatever you do in life. It's pretty neat to be recognized. And um, I've been recognized only a few times. Uh, one time I was shit-faced on the subway, <laughs> which is a great place to be recognized for your stand-up. Um, it was my ex-boyfriend Kevin's friend's girlfriend. Uh, and she was like, oh my god, you're a comedian, right? Your name's Selena. You're Kevin's ex-girlfriend. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, you're really funny. And I was like, thanks. He's a piece of shit. Which <laughs> was a pretty nice way to be recognized, and he is a piece of shit. Um, and then another time, uh, more recently, I was recognized at the bodega near my nine to five job uh, because, <laughs> guess what? Recognition don't pay the bills, you know? <laughs> so, Mama does have a real job. Um, so, I was recognized at the bodega near my normal job. And uh, I used to work right by Grand Central, and I would go into this great uh, sort of bodega, like, you know, cold, hot, hot lunch, cold lunch place uh, almost every day. And the woman who worked there, the cashier, was very blunt and to the point. And she would stare at me a lot when I first started going in there. And she would just sort of check me out. And then finally one day she's like, are you on television? And I was like, "Mm, not really television. Um, I was on this one web commercial. (laughs) She's like, how freaking D-list is that, you know? (laughs) Um, kind of, not really, yeah. Um, but I, I generally am terrible at commercial auditions. Uh, I'm extremely expressive, and I'm big. Uh, sometimes I feel like the girl with the baby backpack from Swingers. Is that a weird de- reference? You know what I mean? Uh, so expressive! Um, but 
I do terrible. I, I do terribly at commercial auditions because commercial auditions are all about subtlety. Oh, it's like a tiny glance, and that changes the whole. You know, like, oh goddamn, what is subtlety? I don't friggin' know. You know, like I am not good at subtlety. My sister is a queen of subtlety. You guys might know my sister. She's uh, Jan from all the Toyota commercials. She's behind the desk. Welcome to Toyota Thon. Yes, isn't she amazing? Everyone, go buy a Toyota. No, don't. It doesn't affect her at all. So who cares? Yeah. She gets paid by Sachin Sachin. Okay, yeah, anyway. Um, but, but it's too bad, because goddamn, did all the skills of subtlety get given to Laurel and not to me. Um, I don't do well on commercial auditions, although I do do well on character auditions. I recently filmed a uh, role, a very bizarre role, on this Amazon sitcom called Red Oaks. Everyone should watch it. Yeah, it's so good, season two. Um, and in season two, basically, like, they sent me the sides and the characters, like, brassy blonde woman based on Robin Bird. And I was like, got it! Yes! And I did get the role, and, oh, my God, check my shit out. It's so good. Um, but, but my point is, I, I eat shit at commercial auditions every time. I'm like, why do you even send me? This is an exercise in futility, you know? Um, but but I, I did think I, this woman actually recognized me from the one web commercial I ever got. And it was for a product that is like a poor man's version of Spanx. <laughs> yeah, um, I would think, I, you would think that the most degrading thing in the world would be in a, to be in a Spanx web commercial, but no, no, no. No, there's an even lower level. <laughs> and it is a web commercial for a product called ShapeFX. And it is d literally like D-list Spanx. Um, a couple years ago, a couple female comedians were recruited by ShapeFX, which is a great company. <laughs> okay, don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> I love them. But they, um, they were going to do a series of web commercials that were very funny and lighthearted. And it would, it, the whole storyline was that each comedian was sort of cheating on her gym by wearing these ShapeFX things. And they're like modern-day girdles. Um, and they have some for your thighs and some for your stomach. And they have one for your arms that like keep your thing, you know, like an assortment of like constricting things you could wear under your clothes. Great. So it was bizarre. I went on audition after audition for this. Like they kept having callbacks and I was like, who gives a shit? Like, is this that important? Really? Okay. Um, but so I kept going to their headquarters and going into their conference room and auditioning for these roles. And I thought the storyline was really cute. You know, it was, it would always be a confessional and you would be at a coffee shop or at a restaurant and you're talking about your confession that you don't go to the gym. You just wear shape effects. Hmm. You know? So I get the role, and it's me and like eight other of my friends who are female stand-ups. We all get cast, and okay, that's neat. So we're all filming separately, and I look at my script the day, you know, when I'm, they send me the script that I'm going to be filming, and it's not just a low-key thing in a coffee shop. Mine is one I'd never seen, and it's I am a yoga person, and I'm in a public park, and I'm having a temper tantrum because I use shape effects to hide my underarm flaps! And I'm supposed to flap these loud and scream. And I'm like, okay, I guess we'll do this. You know, like all I'm thinking is like, Selena, this is the easiest $600 you've ever made. <laughs> so the day that we're shooting, we go to Central Park, me and a uh, film crew, and I'm in yoga pants and a little tank top and with this really sweet gal who's directing me. And I have to, you know, do all the lines and have a temper tantrum in Central Park and flap my arms 
and a whole crowd, you know, surrounding me, and they're like, what's going on? And I'm just like, ah! And it's like much more degrading than I even realized it would be, you know? But I'm thinking to myself, you know, I mean, whenever you do stuff like this, half of this shit never even goes anywhere. Like, I expected this whole, like, this whole ad campaign to be thrown up into a ball and thrown into the garbage. You know, like, so many things you film, nothing comes of it. No one sees it. You, you know, like, so I was like, oh, this I'm sure will end up in the trash heap anyway. Who gives a shit? So I filmed this thing, whatever. My name's not on it. And I think, you know, nothing's going to come of this. Well... Uh, as a, it, it turns out, they did release it, <laughs> and uh, the whole series, the big like teaser preview for the entire eight-part series was me just going ah <laughs> in Central Park, <laughs> and they actually bought some pretty clutch media space. Um, if you went to the website for like six months, if you went to PerezHilton.com. <laughs> And you wanted to watch a video of some celebrity like falling outside of the ivy or like being shit-faced at Chateau Maman being like, funny and Pomeranzi. Before you could watch the video, you would see me. <laughs> being like, ah! You know? And, and again, I foolishly didn't think that many people would see it until I started getting random Facebook messages from acquaintances who were like, Selena, was that you? And I was like, oh, God. Like, terrible. Um, my preview part, I, and maybe, I don't know if this sounds remarkable. To me, it did at the time, but my little preview teaser got like 20,000 views on YouTube which I was like, yikes, you know. Um, so anyway, cut back to the woman in the bodega. She's like, do I know you from like a commercial or something? And I'm way too honest to a fault. Like I should have been like, nope. I probably look like every other blonde chick out there. But instead I was like, maybe. I was in a pretty embarrassing web series <laughs> in which I flap my arms like a total psychopath and I scream and she goes, yes! <laughs> Two, she goes, yeah! <laughs> so then we're just flapping our arms at each other, like this weird shame mirror, just like, yeah. <laughs> and every time I went into the bodega after that, she'd see me and be like, yeah! <laughs> so I guess it's actually not that sweet to get recognized. Thank you. You can find Selena on Twitter at Selena Topic and at her New York Times Vows parody account at NYT Vows. All right, next up is hands down one of the best presents I have ever received. Colin Willem, who was on our podcast earlier this year, is an incredible storyteller, and he made me a diorama for our show's five-year anniversary. And seriously, you guys? Seriously? It blew me away. Here is a little clip from when Colin gave me this gift and my insane reaction. And I channeled my inner 13-year-old. The big reveal, everybody. Tap the tables. Tap the tables. I can't do it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Robin. Yes. You've made... This is your life? 300 cakes. More. More than 300 cakes. Yes. For all of us. And I thought that you it was time <laughs> that somebody made something for you. So yeah. Thank you. <gasps> oh my god, this is so cute. Fancy packaging. Oh, it must be light. 
The show, encapsulate the show and Robin. And so there's a little picture of Robin there, and we have some Mad Libs. And then on this other side, we have Auntie. And then there's actually, there's some lactate too, just in case, just in case. How adorable are you? Well, I'm very adorable. You are. You are. This is the first one that I've ever built um, that has a motor. What are you doing? Okay, you can check out that killer diorama in action. Seriously, the motor, it spins. It's amazing. You can check all of that out on our Instagram at yumsthewordshow. Seriously, you guys? Super cool. Okay, if you've been enjoying our podcast, and we hope you have, please share it with a friend. Also, we would really appreciate it if you gave us a review on iTunes because that boosts our ratings within their universe. All right, next up is Peter Gross. Peter has written for The Colbert Report and Late Night with Seth Meyers. He's a regular panelist and a frequent guest host for Peter Sagal on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And he plays Sidney Purcell on Veep, one of my very favorite shows. This is his story about the lengths he went to for a girl he fell in love with on his semester at sea in only the way a 21-year-old can. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to tell a story um, that I kind of think about this happening in my life every end of summer and beginning of fall because uh, this happened to me my junior year of college. I went on a trip called Semester at Sea. I don't know if people know about it or not. It's, um, it's run through the University of Pittsburgh, the Berg, as it would be. And uh, it is, um, it's a trip on a boat. It's like on a big sort of cruise liner-y type boat. It's not very um, fancy like a, like a luxury cruise liner, but it's that type of boat. It's about 500 kids. And then there's the faculty and uh, the crew. Um, and it's basically college on a ship for you know three months. And I went on in the fall, and it's it's a full semester. So we started in uh, Vancouver and we went east uh, across the Pacific and we went to Japan and a bunch of Pacific countries and ultimately sort of around um, uh, southern tip of India, went to Sri Lanka, through the Suez Canal, blah, 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 you know, Egypt, Israel, things, and then back to Florida. It was amazing. It was a really transformative experience in my life. And uh, most importantly, I uh, fell in love pretty hard with a girl on the trip. And uh, um, it was amazing. And I have with me this journal that is, uh, this is the actual journal that I uh, wrote in like I was Kevin Spacey in Seven. Um, 
uh, all on this trip very often. And you'd think that when you're like traveling around the world and having all these amazing experiences and seeing, you know, Asia for the first, like going to Japan as a, as a you know, 21-year-old kid is mind-blowing. It's like, it's, it's incredible. This is mostly about her. Um, <laughs> and there's another one. Uh, but anyway, so I just want to read a couple of things just to like give you the sense of where uh, my mind was at. So let's see, here's the first. Um, this is... This is, no one has ever heard this. I was telling my wife I was going to do this, and she was like, oh, really? Like, I don't, she didn't know any of this stuff. Um, okay. Can I gather up and store away? I would snatch up every droplet, morsel, and slice of beauty that ever existed in the universe, and I'd run up your stairs, fall to your peasant knees, she wasn't a peasant, and lay my accumulations at your feet, weep and collapse. It's all here, I'd say. I spent all my days, every hour of my life devoted to endeavoring to capture for you, that's a horrible sentence, to try to give you the beauty that you give me. In all my dreams, in all my lifetimes, for all my energy expended to every fiber, I would collapse and die. That's, that's, what, that's what it says in there, that I felt that at the time. And I, I think at this point in the, in the trip, I had known her for like about a week. Um, you know, so uh, I was playing it cool. Definitely keeping the, old, keeping the old cards close to the chest, as it were. Oh, Lord. Okay, here's another entry. This is like maybe five days later or so. The winds could blow me away to you, seeking, grabbing my heart in this rainy sky. I think I was sitting outside of the rain and the wind, writing this. Uh, to kiss, to hold, to make the sweetest of all love. The way young, underlined, primal, torturously lovers are supposed to do. It's not a word. Explore and rage with all the passion. Here's where it gets good. Rage with all the passion of the elders who have lived before and all the kin who will succeed. So, you know, everybody. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't, like, reading a lot of Tolkien or anything at the time. I just, I just had, like, sort of real connection to the elders. I wrote, I wrote letters, like, this is, this is a long time ago. This was, like, 20 years ago. So I, you would get to the next port that you were at, and you would write letters, and you'd mail letters from your port. And so this is, you know, mid-'90s. You'd, like, get to Japan, and then you'd mail a letter that you had written, you know, a week ago while you were traveling across the ocean. You'd send letters back to your family, and they would get it, like, two or three weeks later. So my, my parents were getting letters that were like, I met the girl I'm going to marry. She's amazing. And she was Jewish, but had uh, blonde hair. And I was like, she's a blonde-haired Jew. Like, I had gone to sea and found a mermaid or something. Like, oh, my God. They have those here on the water. They have blonde hair. It was... Uh, yeah, it was pretty great. Um, okay, so this is, like, the, the, the like extended metaphor that I decided to commit to in this is amazing. I'll just say that. Okay. Right now, she's not here. And, and we all know how I feel. We all, the, the people reading my journal. Each sense deprived of its potential romantic stimuli. This is so... I forgot I wrote this until a week ago. And it 
it like it's like somebody is like slicing me open from the inside <laughs> with like a butter knife. It's so painful. Okay. So this is about all the senses. Upon the first encounter, the eyes stood up and have the floor. I've seen her, they proclaim. And compared to the others we've come across, I have to say, it's looking good from here. <laughs> so the eyes are a fan. A cheer arises as the nose chimes in. I'm very excited at the prospects here, says the nose. Really? Say, say the ears who have not been paying much attention. Why, yes, of course, says the nose. I caught a hint, a brief hint on the wafting wind, and I can tell you, this one has much to offer. <laughs> God. Then suddenly, the ears explode with a newfound interest. Why, that is something special, quite a voice, very sensitive, and the laugh, well. <laughs> This is the best, ready? The call from the brain booms over the loudspeaker. We're trying very hard to accommodate those of you in touch and taste. It has been difficult up until now and it may continue to be so for quite some time. I've actually been doing all right, pipes in touch. I can only speak for myself, but I've been getting reports in all over that even the most incidental contact has been astonishing. I guess like if I rubbed up against her somehow, that was great. I don't know, this is the worst part. I wouldn't worry about me, said Taste. I'm used to it by now. Yuck, yuck, what the fuck is she thinking? And also it's like, a, like Taste is some pervert that's like, oh wait, that's cool, we'll get there eventually. So after all of this, after all of this, like writing in the journal and getting, you know, getting it only out onto these pages, I realized I needed to say something to her. And it's not a lot of students <laughs> about this. I, we talked, we were, you know, friendly. There were like 500 students on the ship. So you, know, you sort of settle in in the first few weeks. You kind of, you know, see who you're going to hang out with. And obviously I knew her well enough to talk to her and, and you know, and, and the nose was close enough to smell. Um, but I wanted to actually tell her like how I really, really felt. So, uh, but I didn't want to do it like one-on-one. -on -one. I, I thought uh, I should do it in like a, a um, at the coffee house open mic talent show thing where every single person on the ship was gonna be there and so, um, you know, you could like play music or read bad poetry, and I thought, I'll do both and just sing you a song that I wrote for you. Now you get to hear it. All right. Well, thank you. I'm not sure if that's a Okay. So, um, anyway, so I, as I, I mentioned uh, casually to Selena back uh, at the bar that. Uh, I, this is the second time that I have ever played this for a group of people. Um, in the first uh, time, she was in the audience, and uh, she's not now, which is uh, much less nerve-wracking. Um, but I will let me just see if I can get this right. 
And uh, I am also like editing parts of this song out because it's so fucking long. I like played the whole thing and I was like, that was eight minutes. There's like a whole breakdown where I took a quote from a, uh, like the opening flap of Great Gatsby. There's like a poem in there and I like added that like at the last minute. I was like, oh, I have to sing that. And that part has a lot of like, like a lot of like major seventh chords, which are just lame. You know how bad those are. When you string them all together, they're not that great. Um, okay. So, okay, ready? Here we go. All right. So I will say this also. She had a boyfriend back at the college that she was going to, and she talked about him and how they kind of didn't really, you know, get along all that well, and I was like, that's my opening. I'm in. Like, she's got... Okay. So then I... I uh, um, if you thought the, uh, the senses, uh, the, the horrible play that was, like, the five-character play of the senses was bad. This is like a whole extended metaphor that you'll see as well. Okay, ready? <laughs> well, it was once upon my time In a land so lush and green On a mountaintop so high there lived a king and queen. That's her and her boyfriend. And now the people love their king. And they assumed he loved his bride. But it was only their wedding ring that was keeping her by his side. Now you can tell, I have like a B minus voice, okay? So that's like, I'm not, I have no illusions, but like that also I think probably contributed a lot to what you'll hear. You see, I knew this all to be true. Because I watched McQueen each day Simple lonely gardener She was my muse Far too beautiful to ever look away And waltzed I wrote waltzed instead of wild And waltzed my heart did weep and swoon The strangest thing did cross my eyes On the first night of each new moon She would sit in her room and cry And I would sing I'll never forget your tears and I'll never forget you, queen. I'll never forget the things that I saw in you that your king had never seen. And my tongue gets twisted up tied. And my, I just want to let you, I, I just can't let you go, sorry. And I just want to wish I tried just once to tell you so. And then you'd know. So she's sitting in the audience watching this. No fucking clue this is coming. While the king, he tries to comfort you with his condescending hand on your shoulder, callous and cruel. You know, sorry. He don't understand. And when you turn out to the night, I see you're searching for something new. And the yearning tears rule your eyes, rule, because of the metaphor of like the rulers. I want to climb up and rescue you. Here's where it gets fucking great. Towering, flaxen, and feminine over all, majestically unfurled. In that room, I'd heed your desperate call, proclaim you queen of all my world. And at that moment, we'd make love. And I fucking did it like that. Love, the way that tortured young lovers do. This is the best. Passion oozing, flying above. You know how passion oozes. Gross! Gross! It says passion oozes. Gross! Passion oozing, flying above. Oh, God. All that brings your tears to you. Okay, ready? Now we get to the end. 
the end as far as you're concerned, but there was a lot more. Okay, ready? <laughs> and now my tale ends so sad, just the way that it began. The queen I knew I could never have, so away from her I ran. And my days now are noxious woe. And at night she breathes my dreams, where I always tell her so. And dry the tears of my fair queen. And I do sing. I'll never forget your tears. I'll never forget your queen. I'll never forget the things I saw in you that your king had never seen. And my tongue gets twist of tide. And I just can't let you go. And I'm glad now that I tried just this once to tell you so. And then I look straight at her, and I'm gonna pick you. And I said, and now you know. <laughs> so. There's a little bit more. So, you know. Balls in her court after that. Um, and it was, uh, I went up to her and I saw her after the whole evening sort of dissipated. And, and I, uh, I, I, you know, talked to her and, and she just was like floored. And she's like, that was about, that was about me, right? You wrote that for me. And I said, yeah. And we kind of like walked out the, the, to the deck, you know, of the ship. And, and it's, there was like, to me, it was like unbelievably romantic. Like we're in the Indian Ocean and the wind is like blowing and, and there's little flecks of, you know, the, the sea is like jumping up and kissing our faces. And, and I leaned in and I gave her a kiss. And, you know, we, we kissed, kissed as like a, an activity. It wasn't like a peck. Um, and to this date, I have never experienced a more one-sided kiss in my entire life. It was like when you practice kissing on your hand, but somehow less, uh, less passionate. Um, and um, she, I kissed her and she endured it. I was like this. And she was like this. So eventually, it did not happen. We kind of spent a few days trying to, you know, make it happen. And then we landed, uh, we, we docked at a port. She went off with some friends. I went off with some friends. And we came back. She was seeing this other guy. She had, like, in, in at, like, days after this whole, like, outpouring to her, she found this other guy on their little jaunts in Sri Lanka. And it was very obvious. They actually, like, liked each other. They had, like, a two-way relationship. And it wasn't one person, like, <laughs> vomiting poetry onto the other person. Um, and I found another girl that I uh, uh, was with, and she was this kind of cool artsy chick, and she made me a bunch of mixtapes with like Kate Bush and Bjork, and uh, and like women reading poems about lesbianism and stuff, and and she, you know, she like put she liked to put my penis on her eye. Um, <laughs> which is totally true. She didn't do it like with her eye open, like, but she would like rest my penis like on her eye, sort of in the middle of things. And to this date, it is the least sexy thing that has ever happened to me. Um, eventually she and I broke up after we all went back to school and everything. And uh, you know, cause like at that time, you know, if it was today, I would just sext her a picture of my penis and she would like put the phone up to her eye. <laughs> you know. With landlines, you can't really do that. Um, 
So I, you know, I went and saw their girls, and she, you know, she dated other guys or whatever. And but this girl, Allie, the guy that she dated on that trip, she came, she kept seeing him, and you know, through college, and she saw him after college, and uh, she sees him uh, every single day of her life because they are married. And uh, for all of that effort that I put out, and all of the poetry and emotion and like intensity that I put into that, hoping that she would fall for me, I realized that it actually worked because I drove her into the arms of the man she would spend the rest of her life with. It just wasn't me. So that's my story. Thank you. Oh, peasant news. I love that story. You can find Peter on Twitter at Peter Gross. That's G-R-O-S-Z. Or as they say in Canada and other Commonwealth countries, Zed. You can also read his blog that he writes with his wife on Medium. It's called Quality Time with Pete and Deb, and it is so damn funny. That's at medium.com slash Peter Gross. And you can also see a hilarious video we shot with him on our Facebook page where he shares his favorite Yiddish word and what he really thinks about my ice cream cakes. It's not favorable. Also, our next live show is this Thursday, September 15th at Le Poisson Rouge at 7.30. We have some giants from the storytelling community on the show that night, including Kevin Allison, who you may know from Risk, Elna Baker from This American Life, and more. You can get tickets for that show and details at yumsthewordshow.com. Hope to see you there, and if you can't make it, be sure to follow all the fun the night of on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. We're seriously all over the place. We live tweet the whole thing and live Instagram and all that at Yum's The Word Show. So hope to uh, see you online if you can't make it to the show. The stories you just heard were recorded live at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City. The podcast is produced by me, Robin Gelfenbein, and Alex Fulton, who wrote some of the music. And the theme song is by Mark Radcliffe. Special thanks to Matt Fiddler, Michael Cedar, Danny Ortiz, Megan Dineen, and Carly Patron. I'm Robin Gelfenbein. Thanks for listening. Hope you got a piece. And until next time. Shut up! Shut up! Yum's the word.